Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're joined today uh, on the phone by Mike Berardino, formerly of uh, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, longtime Baseball America Twins correspondent and former BA employee. Mike recently left to uh, become the Notre Dame football beat writer for the Indianapolis Star, but uh, he was kind enough to uh, still put together the Twins uh, top 10 for us. Mike, real quick, how are you enjoying uh, the college football life compared to uh, the baseball life? Well, it certainly is a change of pace, but uh, I, you know it, it doesn't hurt to step into a season that um, it's uh, well, they're unbeaten to this point, and uh, and trying to win their first national championship in 30 years. So I'm, I'm sitting in the O'Hare Airport right now because of travel problems, but. Uh, going to cover them against Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. So I'll be back in a baseball environment, but covering football, which is kind of appropriate. Absolutely. No, definitely uh, definitely kind of a fun mix there. Um, obviously, you were part of uh, you know the Twins uh, coverage team for a very long time. You've known this system as intimately as anyone. I want to start with the discussion this year. Royce Lewis is once again the Twins' number one prospect. How close of a debate was it between him and Alex Kirilov in your discussions with front office officials and scouts? Was it pretty clear that Royce was still the number one, or was there a little bit of, of debate there? I think that the separation remains um, for two reasons. What Royce is a, a, a one draft class later, a year old or a year uh, younger, and then he's, he's staying at shortstop uh, for the foreseeable future if, uh, if and when he were to uh, moved to another spot and uh, played other spots in high school. Um, that um, that dip in positional value might, if if Kirilov keeps hitting like that, um, might make it a, a, a you know almost a flat-footed tie, as they say. Uh, right now, you know they're they're pretty close. I mean, I had you know I did try to make sure that we had it in the right order, but. Um, uh, those, those are the main reasons that Royce is still at the top of that, that heap, and uh, both of them are trending so well. Yeah, Royce in particular uh, had a really nice year uh, at low A. High A, you know, hit a little bit of scuffles, but nothing unusual for the Florida State League. What kind of player can Twins fans, you know, look forward to? Are we talking about, you know, an all-star shortstop? Are we talking about, you know, a perennial all-star shortstop? Just, to, again, now that he has a full season under his belt and evaluators at the pro level have really sunk his teeth into him, what level of talent are they seeing? Well, um, we certainly don't want to overload him with, uh, with too much, um, and I don't want to get too far out there, but, I mean, you don't get to be a top 10, what, he's top 10 overall in your top 100, and um, you don't get to be at the top of that, that that list in your draft year unless you have all the potential things you laid out. Um, I don't think uh, at this stage, you know, yet to play above high A, and as you said, you know, he also had a, a sustained scuffle there in, in the Midwest League as well. Um, two separate slumps that he had to fight his way out of, and he did. Uh, also dealing with some patellar tendonitis that um, is concerning. His shoulder wasn't a problem for him this year, but uh, yes, if he stays healthy and he continues to to play full seasons in the minors and, and, and have a chance to live up to that ability that's so obvious to scouts and uh, and to teammates and, and the people who've coached and managed him, uh, sure. I mean, uh, Twins fans can dream on a uh, franchise-type player. I mean, there's a Jeter-level charisma, 
And, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know what the worst case is, but the floor is pretty high. He's definitely uh, an interesting prospect. You know, obviously teenagers at the Class A levels are never, ever, ever a guarantee. Not that any prospect is ever a guarantee, but, uh, you know, it, there's definitely a sense that he's, he's done what he, what he needs to do so far. And, and as you mentioned, he was, you know, a fairly clear-cut number one and in a pretty good system. Kirilov obviously was, was excellent this year, but I actually wanted to talk about the top pitching prospect in the system in Brewster Gratterall. You were ahead of the curve on this. You had uh, submitted Gradwell last year uh, as the number five prospect in the system at a time when, you know, many people in our office had never even heard of him. And, and there were other guys who were bigger names, the Nick Gordons of the world, the Steven Gonzalez's of the world. But uh, you had Gradwell run up pretty well, and uh, he lived up to that this year. What were some of the things that Gratterall showed last year that, that gave you that level of confidence in him? And then what was you know, the overall feedback you got on him this year now that he had a little bit of spotlight on him? Well, a year ago, trying to remember, I mean, I went back and watched some video. There was, uh, almost yours, but I think it was on YouTube and uh, from the Gulf Coast League. And um, I didn't get to see him at all in the, in the Appy League, but... Um, you know, just the frame was uh, impressive. The, the delivery was repeatable. Uh, he, uh, of course, you're hearing those high velo numbers even in the in those levels, rookie ball and, and so forth. And and then he, I got to see him live this year. Of course, last year, I mean, I was told by, I think I put it in the report that you know there was a, a high-ranking Twins person who said that he might have had that Gratterall might have had the highest ceiling of anybody in the system at that time or putting the report together, you know, a year ago. But, um, so that's how you get pushed up into the top five. And I, yeah, I've been doing these since my Marlins days. It's about 20 years off and on of doing these reports for you guys. And, um, you, you, you're not going to, uh, you're, you're not going to separate yourself at all if you're, um, if you're uh, if you don't listen to the people who uh, who guide you uh, properly over the years, and um, you know when somebody had when somebody pounds the table as it were over the phone in this setting, um, and, it, and it happens a few times, then uh, and you, and you're talking about a guy who's touching triple digits um, and already got his Tommy John surgery out of the way and added 60 pounds of muscle. <laughs> I checked on that. That's what they say from from the from the uh, time he signed at 16. Um, why not? Why not push him up there? So we have another guy in this year's top ten, or some somebody said on the chat the other day, it could be was kind of this year's Gratterall based on uh, on, the, on where I put him. Um, we'll get to him in a minute, but um, I feel pretty good about that one too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, who who is that player that you feel is is potentially next year's Gratterall? I have no idea. But uh, oh, let me look, let me look at my list here. Uh, uh, Joan Duran. Um, the uh, the guy who really uh, showed um, big upside uh, in the Midwest League this year. So you know, in terms of when we in, in obviously came in trade from the Diamondbacks, and uh, and it didn't take him long well, with his pitch mix and his and his big velocity and and uh, but he's got uh, something that was described to me as a as a splinker. <laughs> it was uh, uh, he kind of spreads his fingers. Uh, and, and gets a, a late movement on this. It's not really a split. Uh, it's not a split change. It's just a, it's just something that's uh, it's a hard, I guess, two seamer, and um, down and and uh, fade. But um, uh, nice frame, 
Again, repeatable delivery, uh, 55% ground balls, 15% swinging strike rate, and um, he had been kind of uh, spinning his wheels, it looked like, uh, with the D-backs, but once the Twins got him, uh, um, he really took off. So um, I pushed him up there in a system that uh, it's not a wash in pitching talent, a lot more position talent probably overall that um, I think we pushed him all the way to seven. Yeah, you know, Duran was, was the key prospect that came over in the Eduardo Escobar trade. We saw the Twins obviously uh, sell off some veterans at the deadline and bring in a bunch of good prospects. And uh, you mentioned that the system is mostly, you know, position player based. Um, you know, of your top 10, uh, you know, grad or, you, you know, it's, it's uh, seven position players and three pitchers. And, and I think the pitchers are, uh, with the exception of Gratterall, they're in the back half. Um, some of those position players, you know, you mentioned Royce Lewis, uh, you know, staying at short and showing he can do that for now. Wander Javier was, was one of the top uh, international prospects a few years ago, uh, signed for $4 million. Uh, big things were expected of him coming into the year, uh, but he, he had injury issues right away in 2016, you know, did pretty well for himself when he was actually on the field in 2017, but then he needed shoulder surgery that cost him off 2018. So he's been hampered by injuries now two of the last three years. He's still top five in this system. What's the overall feel you have on, on Javier and where he is? Because he will be 21 next year without having played past rookie ball. It's kind of an interesting dynamic with him. It is. You're, you're uh, really buying in on the tools there, and you're, and you're just assuming that uh, he'll be able to stay on the field. I do think, and I've thought for a long time, that the, the sixth tool in some way was you know the ability to stay on the field, and um, he's going to have to, to prove that. Um, it's uh, They've been careful with him. Obviously, I think that hamstring probably could have played through if he'd been more advanced, but, uh, but, the, but the labrum requiring surgery was something that they carried over time and had to be fixed. He was fine by their mini camp though. So that's, that's one reason why you can still believe in the tools and feel like this is a guy who's, who's you know, not going to be uh, sidetracked by, uh, by his body uh, too much longer, but he does need, it does knock him down a peg. I actually was willing to put him as low as six, I believe, but um, you guys wanted him back up there at four. I, JJ Cooper uh, gets the, uh, he, he broke that uh, tie and um, that's fine. That's fine by me. I'm comfortable with that. But uh, a couple other guys that we'll talk about, I'm sure, bats that uh, have a, had a chance to produce uh, more in the minor leagues. Uh, Javier certainly had a nice run there in the Appy League uh, a year ago, but that's almost ancient history. Moving down, there's a group of college, uh, recent college draft picks here. Uh, you have Trevor Larnack, their first-round pick this year. Brent Rooker, their first-round supplemental pick last year. Uh, even move into uh, Ryan Jeffers, their second-round pick this year. Overall, the Twins, uh, these last you know couple drafts, have added some of that older, more advanced talent. Uh, Rooker already got to double-A. Larnack finished the year in full-season ball. Uh, Jeffers moved very quickly as well. Was there a sense from you that they were, because before it was a lot of high school talent or international talent, was there a sense of, of picking these guys to, I don't know, move a little quicker, or was it just a case of these are the best guys available, let's take them? Well, um, you know, they already liked uh, Rooker having tried to sign him, almost signing him, I guess, out of the 38th round, but then he went back to school and and, uh, and it worked out very nicely for him. Um but they, you know, they also with this with uh, uh, trademark pending Falvine, uh 
administration, they, these decisions, as they are around the game, are made more and more um, in uh, conjunction between the scouting department and the analytics department. And in each case, there were analytic uh, reasons to uh, get excited about that player and, and what would you know could still be tweaked. Uh, what you know, small changes that could still be made uh, on into pro ball to build off of what they've done in college ball. So um, Rooker was the first case, and uh, you know had a tremendous uh, you know half season, the first pro ball uh, season, and a ton of power. This year in eighteen, he experienced some ups and downs, and and I mentioned in the report that uh, you don't hear as much the conviction about turning him into a left fielder anymore. So that that does hurt his potential positional value a little if you're talking about purely a first baseman who's in my uh, in, in the conversation I had doesn't sound like he's going to be much more than an average first baseman at, for, at best um, or or a DH. But the bat is real and the bat is advanced and and um, and certainly uh, you know he's a thinker so he, he's uh, going to get the most out of uh, what the analytics department brings to him. Uh, Larnick, uh, obviously, it should have been just exhausted coming off of the College World Series uh, star turn, but um, he really uh, managed to, to hit the ground running, and, and uh, they, they loved his uh, curiosity and, and, and the way he's already remade his swing with the help of analytics. And uh, They think that he can get to more of his pull side power in addition to what he already has, which is uh, easy power to the opposite gap. And... Um, not a ton of positional value there either. And again, where you see guys who are polished college hitters with limited positional value in those two cases, um, you know, it probably wasn't an analytics uh, shared um, conviction. And, and so that kind of tilted the playing field toward that pick. It's a little lower pick um, um, than the Twins have been making in the first round at 20, but, uh, you know, he's made them look good so far. So we put them where we did. And then, uh, Jeffers was interesting because, um, you know, I guess the competition level is lower at UNC Wilmington. And, um, one of the things I kept hearing was they loved the, his pitch framing. But Sean Johnson said it on draft day that it was the, that they really thought he could, he could frame at a level that, um, would allow him to stay at catcher, even though there are questions in the scouting community about, some of his footwork and his, and his mobility back there, but um, you can frame and, and to a large extent. And modern in the modern game, that's what the teams want to see uh, from their catchers. They're willing to give a little to get more framing. They they just they're really valuing that, and the Twins are at the forefront of that. So um, that helps convince uh, a prospect writer in this case that he can stay at catcher. We'll see. There's doubts out there about that. But if the Twins are going to value the framing above all else in terms of the defense for a catcher, well, Ryan Jeffers' bat, which was tremendous, will uh, will stay there. Another really sharp kid, um, physics major um, at uh, UNC Wilmington, so he's already had a chance to uh, pick Josh Cox's brain or at least do a lot of listening, which is wise. Talk to him about that, and um, so yeah, you're a good point that there's a bit of a trend going on there toward the college hitter, where the Twins for a long time um, were looking for that five potential five tool high school athlete um, and, and willing to roll the dice in that direction. Yeah, I you know. I just went back and, and quick checked it. Uh, the Twins went uh, college with six of their top seven picks this year. 
The only other time they've done that this decade was 2014. So, you know, this entire decade, uh, this was as college heavy as a draft as they've ever had. Looking at this top 10 as a whole, there is a mix, international, high school, college. How many of these guys were firmly in the top 10 and how many were kind of, you know, open, they could be, but there was, there was a challenger? I think I had about um, 12 to 14 really good candidates for the top 10. And um, it just kind of fell this way. I, there's, uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, Junior Severino um, at 10 was, uh, was a, I don't know, a force or a compromise pick necessarily. I might have him a slot or two higher, but the conviction on the bat was high enough that that I was able to overlook some of the concerns from outside the organization about the athleticism or the positional value, which is already limited at second. They still think they, they can get him to play on the left side of the diamond a little bit, the Twins do. Um, he likes playing at second. He's a Robbie Cano fan, and and, uh, and and he sees what, what you know how far Cano's been able to go uh, largely with the bat playing second. But um, um, there are others. There are other pieces there uh, that... Uh, People will need to buy the book for right. We're not supposed to get it. We're not supposed to let people right. know who 11 through 15 might be. So we encourage them to buy the prospect handbook. Of course, that's obvious. If they're listening to this podcast, they've already pre-ordered it. But there, there were definitely um, uh, a handful of candidates that could have been in that top 10, and no one would have blinked. Big picture now. You know, the Twins obviously uh, had the worst record in baseball in 2016. Rallied back to make the playoffs in 2017. Uh, 2018, uh, you know, there was hope and expectation that maybe they would be able to build on that. Uh, instead, things cratered quite a bit. Um, you know, looking at this this prospect group in conjunction with who is there at the major league level, what's your sense on you know how quickly these guys can can really impact the Twins? A and B. How realistic is it for the Twins to get back to contention? Is it 2019? Is it 2020? Where, where's their timeline based on their current overall talent, both you know, major league level and farm system from, from your vantage point? They're in a weird spot, Kyle, because um, as you mentioned, uh, you know, they, they did load up uh, payroll-wise. That was a record payroll that they put out there, $128 million uh, for them as a record. Um, in, in this past year, with late freeze and signings, and it blew up in their face. So they're also they're hoping to have more definitive answers in 2018 on the young core, especially the young positional core. They got a nice answer on Jose Barrios, but um, and Kyle Gibson gave him a nice surprise, but he's a year away from free agency. Um, but then the young core positionally, you know, starting with Buxton and Sano, still open questions. So. You know, will that lead to a change of scenery trade prospect, or, or not prospect, but young player for young player maybe uh, uh, this off season potentially? Will it lead to them running them back out there, the Keplers and Rosarios? Rosario certainly had a tremendous first half and had played through a shoulder problem and some other, and just it just got pitched to better. Um, they they still need to get the Polanco missed the first half with the suspension did some good things in the second. They still need more answers, Kyle, about that, about that core before they can uh, let them get out the door or lock them up for five years. It seems harder to do that now. Um, 
to lock people up. Uh, Thad Levine did it so well, uh, part of the group down in Texas that did it so well, um, and he knows and wants to do it, but at the appropriate time. So they're showing restraint. I mean, they did put multi-year offers out there for a handful of guys in the spring, and nobody bid because the union has shown them the, uh, I guess, or convinced in many cases that the idea that patients will pay. So although the way free agency goes anymore, I don't know. So the arbitration system pays still. That's pretty locked in, but once you get to free agency, you know. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. I, they're, I'm sure they'll have a surprise or two up their sleeves. I'm sure they'll delve into free agency a little bit, I, I, I guess. Um, but as far as their year, you know, they're, they're on the other side of the Joe Maurer contract. So a lot of people want to see them take that $23 million spot and spread it over two pitchers or something. But And maybe they will, but they also just might take it down significantly. I, you know, I'm just guessing here. Um, no one knows what their payroll range is. It's still a case-by-case basis. But if they don't like the way the market unfolds, if, if things don't present, as Derek Falvey likes to say, that, that are tempting, um, there's no reason they can't take it down closer to where the A's and the Rays were in payroll doing very good things this year than trying to push up into that middle range where you're landlocked, you're not spending enough to to keep up with the superpowers, but you also are potentially going to throw away an extra forty to fifty million dollars that you could spread out through your infrastructure, through multi-year deals, uh, load up for for opportunities that will come when you're ready. And uh, Cleveland, well, Cleveland's window will have a lot to say about how the Twins and the rest of the division act in this offseason, but everybody knows the White Sox are coming and they're not there yet. But by 2020, 2021, you know, it could be a division that's, that's dominated by the White Sox. So um, there, is a, there is a bit of a window. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You mentioned the struggles of some of the, those young players. It's always a reminder that there is no such thing as a surefire prospect. Uh, obviously, you know, Byron Buxton and, and Miguel Sano both hitting sub 200, both getting demoted to the minors. Uh, these are guys now, you know, in years three, four of their big league careers, and it's just not clicking the way uh, people expected it to. I mean, from the outside looking in, to just to be perfectly honest, um, again, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Obviously, you have a lot more experience there. But from the outside looking in, you see Eddie Rosario. You know, he's a keeper. You know, Jorge Polanco played well enough. You can throw him in that bucket, too. You mentioned Jose Barrios. Um, you know, Fernando Romero came up and, and showed some good things, some things to work on, but something to work with definitely. You know, Kyle Gibson's on, you know, he's going to be 31 next season. I mean, I think you could argue there's maybe one or two rotation spots you feel good about. And again, right now, I don't know if there are more than one or two position player spots you feel really good about where the future's coming. So on the one hand, that is going to result in a lot of opportunities for a lot of these prospects in the coming years, but there's still an interim gap. Lewis is still an A-ball. Karoloff is still an A-ball. These are not guys who are going to be ready to go on opening day next year. Given that, I mean, I, I guess I feel like almost how much Buxton and Snow are able to bounce back, if at all, will probably have more of a say about the Twins' ability to truly be competitive here in the next year or two than maybe anything prospect-wise just because it's going to be some time before these guys come up and then there's an adjustment period. 
Yes, and by the time a lot of the guys on this top 10, top 15 are pushing for major league time, yes, the, the, the likes of Rosario, Kepler, et cetera, could, Polanco could already be into the arbitration system, will be into the arbitration system, and, and, um, and who knows if the Twins want to pay them what the system will, will provide. But, um, uh, and then, you know, I do think that there's a year-to-year try-to-stay-relevant-every-year mentality. I don't see this group uh, taking things down to the point of a quote-unquote rebuild. Uh, they, their term for it is building. They're still building. They don't want to say rebuilding because they're not. They do have pieces. I think you might undersell the positional uh, value a little bit of those guys, even if it has to be uh, move this guy over to this spot. Blanco could move across the bag, whatever. But one of the things we, the two names we haven't mentioned at all that um, I don't know how many you, you would know. I don't get to see your other list until I buy the book. But uh, I wonder how many teams had people like uh, of, the, of the ilk of Nick Gordon and Stephen Gonzalez fall out of a top ten after being in the top five in the past, if not topping the list like Gordon. So that's an, and and. Um, and I stand by that. I, 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 there was really little reason to protect their top 10 spots, and um, they're probably in the top 15. But um, if they were going to be in that top 10, it was going to be toward the back of it. Obviously, they didn't make it. it how, how rare is that um, these days for guys at that stage of their careers? Gonzalez with just uh, about five weeks in the, you know, six weeks in the major leagues, and Gordon with none to uh, slide that far. It does happen, and that is one of the, you know, going with Gonsalves, you know, we saw Steven Gonsalves make his major league debut. Uh, Adalberto Mejia did get four starts and pitched well in those. Zach Littell uh, came up, made his debut, Aaron Slieger. So this, there was this young group uh, of pitchers who did at least get their first taste of major of the major leagues. Uh, in regards to Gonsalves, you mentioned he was a top 10 guy for, for a couple of years in this twin system. Um Concerns about velocity and command came up this year. 22 walks uh, in 24 innings. Uh, also gave up 28 hits, so he got hit and he walked guys. It wasn't the greatest combination. How much faith or, or sense was there from anyone you spoke with that Steven Gonzalez can get this turned around and, and be a serviceable fourth, fifth starter? Well, that's the thing. I, I think I think serviceable and, and back of a rotation, that's, that doesn't that doesn't make you think uh, top 10 anymore. I mean, there was a time when there was a, you know, he didn't seem to throw an invisible ball and it certainly the changeup was too good for people at the lower to mid levels of the minors, but um, he, he has lost a couple miles an hour on the fastball with, with persistent shoulder problems or for a couple straight years. And all the other things that pushed him so high on that list are still there, the makeup and the competitiveness and the, the generally smooth delivery, although he's he, he's tinkered with it to try to produce more velocity back to that. So, you know, he might just have to trend down into the Tommy Malone range and, and just be free and easy and, and, and pinpoint, but it's that's pretty hard to do in a in a velo soaked game. Um so I think there's still belief in the person, um and there's still belief in the in the overall, but um, it's not a talk about a two or a three or or somebody who um, you know has to be in your top ten anymore. So he got he got a look. It was smart and wise to and good for him that he got a, he got to the majors, got a chance, had some moments. But um, yes, yeah, so as you sketched out, uh, 
walks, uh, well, basically, uh, you know, walks and hits together, um, not, not helpful. One guy who did come up and was actually okay, given uh, a lot of the rockiness he's been through, was Cole Stewart, obviously a former uh, top yes. five pick. Uh, his career took a, a winding path, but came up. Um, you know, not a lot of strikeouts, still a good chunk of walks, but, you know, less than a hit in inning, kept runs off the board, you know, perfectly respectable in his, uh, his 36 and two-third inning debut. Where does he fit in the Twins, you know, plans moving forward? Well, he'll get a look. I mean, he might end up uh, in the middle relief, um, but he also just might end up forcing his way into the back of the rotation. We'll see. I, I see if they can get a special waiver where they can uh, only pitch him against the Tigers because <laughs> it really seemed to go well for him if you look against the Tigers. But uh, the other thing they liked is, you know, he just, he just reinvented himself in terms of the makeup. He got married. And he, he let his wife talk some sense to, into him, and, and he'll, he'll admit that um, he had taken some things for granted. He was kind of an angry young man, and uh, he changed. He, he was a different guy in 2018. He was subject to coaching. They gave him a one-seamer, uh, Blake Trinan one-seamer, and, uh, and he took to it and, and, and allowed him to even miss a few bats. He's never going to be a strikeout per inning guy, but... Uh, Still heavy ground ball rate, and and um, it, it was it was nice to see that happen for Cole Stewart. He's, his his uh, debut season def in the majors definitely more successful than Gonzalez's. But um, again, he got to see the Tigers a lot. He did he did take to the opener, and with Rocco Baldelli as the manager, and his raise passed. Um, we'll see. I mean, we'll see uh, just uh, if the Twins can take the opener throughout the year. Um, I think they're tempted to do so. And if if that's the case, there's going to be certain starters that can handle it, certain that can't. Littell took to it, uh, and and Cole Stewart took to it with open arms. So um, that may improve their chances of, of having a back end spot, as opposed to say uh, going out and signing some eight million dollar starter who's uh, on the downside of his career and has, has never been asked to to be the primary and let somebody else be the opener. So. Um, they might go with the kids in that in that regard. Yeah, you know, it's definitely it's definitely interesting. You look at you know what's at the major league level. I mentioned you know you mentioned you mentioned Stewart, you mentioned Littell, you mentioned Sleegers. Uh, you know, you have a guy like uh, Adalberto Mejia, Stephen Gonzalez. A lot of guys who who have progressively gotten taste. You know, each made you know between two and four starts last year and, and got logged some innings. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can you know take on that larger workload moving into next year and how they progress. Uh, to wrap up, you had alluded to Nick Gordon uh, earlier as well. Um, again, another top ten pick, big pedigree, son of you know former All Star uh, pitcher Tom Gordon. Um, as early as last year, there was some very mixed reviews about him coming out, both from Twins camp and opposing scouts and managers. And then this year, it really kind of came to a head. Uh, did not play well at AAA, and and for those of us that watched him at AAA, it was pretty clear he was not at the uh, physicality or skill level uh, of his um, contemporaries at this exact moment in time at that level. What for you kind of was the overall sense on Nick Gordon and what's next and where he goes from here? Well, the yeah, he's still having to try to convince people that he can stay at shortstop in a 
I don't know that he can anymore. Um, I've, I've heard some dreadful reviews of, of his shortstop play, even going back to 2017 at, uh, at Double A. But, um, I mean, he still loves that position, wants to give it a go. But uh, I, I think at this stage, he's the bat, um, if everything clicks for him and he can be more consistent with it and, and hit lefties a little bit, um, um, you know, he, he could be a super utility kind of guy. But for some reason, he's not, uh, other than a little time at second, uh, decent amount of time at second, he has not been exposed to, too much, to any other spots, I believe. So unlike uh, D, so uh, it's probably time to do that. Uh, if you want to get that former top five pick into the major leagues. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. As you, as you said, the Twins are in a, one of the more interesting spots, I think, just in terms of where they're at the big league level with all the guys they, they need to get back on the right track. Uh, you know, even Max Kepler, who, who's a fine player, you know, f- was not great this year. The average really cratered a sub-100 OPS+, plus, which you don't want to see from a corner outfielder. Uh, you know, so seeing if these guys can get back and then these young pitchers, if they can, you know, kind of start to progress and have the farm system follow them, I, I think that's the recipe, but so much of it is up in the air. Uh, Mike, thank you again for, for all your many, many years of service uh, here uh, with Baseball America. Uh, I know uh, the baseball writing world will miss you, but uh, on to uh, a big beat, uh, Notre Dame football, and uh, we look forward to continuing to read your work for the Indianapolis Star. Yes, and at, at Mike Berardino on Twitter, we uh, we need to replace some of these lost Twitter followers from baseball over the years. So anybody cares at all about uh, college football, or, or I'm going to do plenty of basketball too, and, and baseball, if Notre Dame can get going in baseball. Um, but you know where to find me, so thanks, Kyle. No problem. Thanks, Mike. Well, that'll do it for another Baseball America Prospects podcast. From Mike Berardino, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody.